opened the door to the most powerful room in housing, built for mortgage executives, real estate leaders, and the rising stars that drive innovation and progress. The gathering will feature over 45 powerful speakers on stage in Scottsdale, Arizona from April 21st to 24th. Learn more and register now at housingwirethegathering.com. Welcome, everyone. On today's episode, my guest is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about the standoff between buyers and sellers and where we're going to see home prices go this year. First, though, here is a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by PennyMac TPO. In collaboration with their broker partners, they designed Power Plus, a next-generation broker technology platform that offers a fast, intuitive interface with features and functionalities to empower a best-in-class lending experience. With an enhanced guided workflow, the loan process is more efficient, accurate, manageable, and convenient. The platform speeds up the process at every step, minimizing the time brokers spend on the platform. At PennyMac, being tech-forward and human-focused is why greatness lives here. PennyMac TPO is a division of PennyMac Loan Services, LLC, Equal Housing Lender. NMLS ID 35953. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Conditions and restrictions may apply. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. Sarah, it is wonderful to be here. We have a very interesting topic today that I've been uh, uh, waiting to talk about for a very long time. We do. And that's sort of, you know, uh, home buyers versus home sellers, right? Yes. Very interesting dynamic that uh, we're seeing now and something that has kind of been a big part of my work post 2020. Um, you know, thinking that you know, the inventory channels or, or believing that the inventory channels don't really have that much velocity. Uh, and uh, we had the real biggest test that I've ever seen in my lifetime this year, you know, having mortgage rates go from two and a half percent to over seven percent. And then we have a, you know, a wide variety of people over the years talking about well, as soon as rates rise, supply is going to increase unbelievably. And last year, the professional griff take was that once rates rise above 4%, uh, the mass exodus of American households selling their homes to get out at any cost didn't happen. Uh, but what's occurred you know, since 2020 is the housing inflation story has you know, taken a historical ride. Uh, much worse than even the housing bubble years. And even with all that, uh, total inventory levels, especially as percentage of households, are are near all-time lows. Uh, but this doesn't mean that, you know, kind of low inventory prevents you from uh, not making pricing adjustments. And, you know, part of my work over, over the last two years has always brought up a period in time is 2019. Uh, 2018 and 2019 period. Back then, uh, I remember so well for myself uh, speaking at an Orange County economic throwdown event, uh, showing that real home prices were like slightly negative. That's just the adjusting to inflation, the equivalent to rent, and that was a really good thing. I mean, that 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 to me was as perfect pricing you get in the housing market as, as possible. Not a lot of people liked it because, of course, the market was slower back then, but I thought that was balanced. And the reason I bring up 2019 a lot is that 
I'm not a believer that six months of supply is a balanced market. I believe that you know you could have four months of supply and be balanced going back to the 2019 levels. Part of the uh, price growth forecast, you know, uh, uh, you know, for 2020 to 2024, because I always separate my work, was that as long as prices just grew at 23% over five years, we'd be okay. Of course, that got destroyed in two years. So for my own work, the market is overvalued uh, in that context. But, you know, the, tw- the 2022 forecast had a big price deceleration even though inventory was at all-time lows, even though the concern was that you know uh, home prices could could accelerate, the getting the ten-year yield above one point nine four percent was a was a big deal. It's a big part of my work for many years. Uh, twenty twenty-two was the only time in any of my forecasts where I talk about that could possibly happen uh, if global yields can rise, especially Japan and Germany. So that occurred with this big price inflation. But even with all that, home price growth is going to be above my forecast, which means that, you know, four to five percent mortgage rates didn't do the damage I thought it would do. Five to six percent mortgage rates did do, you know, the 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 hit on demand. But six to seven percent mortgage rates also has wow, changed, yeah. <laughs> changed behavior. <laughs> and it's changed behavior in a in a negative way. In the sense that we saw new listings data starting to decline after when rates went spiked up to six percent, and then now it's just gone. We've the market's completely lost in that in that sense that housing inflation has come off. But a lot of people fall back to well, inventory is very low. This is true, but the housing inflation that took place in 2020, 2021, and 2022 is the historic housing economic event of our lifetimes. Uh, because not only did mortgage rates go from 25 to 5%, they went to 7%. So the housing inflation story is, is this unbelievable event. And we see it, demand getting hit. We're still going to have over 5 million total home sales, but we are here now at 7% mortgage rates. And the pricing mechanisms that we see is that areas that are, you know, Above 2019 inventory levels, at 2019 inventory levels, or very close to 2019 in inventory levels outside of very expensive metros, you see pricing changing. Uh, that is the balance of the housing market. So we, we're in this very unique once in a lifetime situation where you have monthly supply below four months, you have total inventory levels still uh, uh, nationally below 2019 levels, but there are pockets. That are at 2019. And I think those where you see the pricing change, even though inventory is low, just because the housing inflation story was so epic. Uh, and you don't have exotic loan debt structures anymore. So you have real affordability issues uh, in some of this, uh, some of these marketplaces. And that's why I've always talked about if you want balance in housing, you got to get to 2019 inventory levels. Cause what we saw was uh, below 2019 inventory levels created a lot of forced billing. Forced bidding, we don't have that anymore. Uh, the forced bidding marketplace has come down, but we do have homes that are effectively, that are priced correctly, do uh, sell uh, uh, quickly, even uh, still a teenager level. Uh, but we're, we're, we're having this big battle now between sellers and buyers in a very unique situation that even the sellers themselves 
are kind of like, well, if I sell my house, I still have to buy another house at you know 7%. Is that what I want to do? Can I do that? Some say no. Some say it's easy, not a problem. Uh, so I think we're, we're, we've entered a very unique time frame that none of us have ever experienced. And I know as, as myself, as a data analyst, oh my God, it's just like, wow, here it is. You know, here is a very unique once in a lifetime situation. So we have to uh, look at it in a very uh, u- unique format. Tw- I mean, I cannot wait. 2023 spring season is going to be very interesting because this is the first time we ever had this uh, 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 backdrop happen for us. So let's talk about home prices because uh, you bring up affordability several times in this article. And I think what's really interesting is like, yes, we've smashed your home home price growth model, but things are starting to decelerate. How much do, you know, is there a formula for like, okay, seven, you know, any, any rates above six or above seven, then we expect prices to come down X. Like, is there that sort of formula? Here's my formula. My And I'm, I, let me just kind of make it uh, simple for everyone. Let's let's just use the hypothetical. The three-year price growth is forty percent accumulative, right? So I need home prices to fall seventeen percent nominal, not real home prices. I know a lot of people like to use real home prices. If we had a seventeen percent decline in nominal home prices, then the affordability metric starts to look better, uh, just because of of, of that variable. That is also something that's going to be very difficult uh, because it takes uh, seller transaction flow to get prices to come to those levels. So uh, we have to wait and see the tug of war between sellers and buyers. But one thing that I've noticed uh, this year is that 4 to 5% mortgage rates didn't do the damage I thought it would do. And when mortgage rates went from six and a quarter back to 5%, it actually stabilized the marketplace. So we're we have even with all the home price gains that we've had uh, recently, the housing market won't look like what it did in 2020 to 2021 unless rates go below four percent. But you can find some stabilizing factors uh, around five. Uh, now over seven, it doesn't matter. Seven is just remember housing affordability is a moving object. Every year, every month. Prices go up, and then let's say rates keep on going up. It, it's a detriment to the affordability index. So we have this historic. I mean, we literally went from two and a quarter to almost seven a quarter right now. That is a five percent spread. Nobody it, it would think you could get a five percent spread within uh, a, a year, and uh, we're kind of almost there uh, to that point. Maybe a little bit uh, above a year. So we have to see going out. You know, what do sellers do? Obviously, you know, the, the notion that people active listings happen every every single year. This is true. We see this, you know, 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. It was only in 2020 that we didn't see any uh, inventory growth seasonal. Of course, that was COVID. Uh, but we saw it in 2021 and we see it again in 2022. But it's not a lot compared to the total housing stock. So we have this dynamic for next year uh, that I'm really curious about because new listings have fallen, which is like the the very last. I, I think of all the things that have gone wrong in housing, this is the latest in the in the in this saga. Uh, sellers are just eh. I, I my life is really good, you know. I, I my total housing cost is so low, and uh, some of them can't afford to buy another house, so they're staying put. 
And some of them just go, you know what? I don't want to sell the house in this day, in this kind of environment. So we're waiting till next year to see what happens with rates, what happens with the marketplace. Do we get the traditional listings that I that I'm hoping for because I'm all about getting back to 2019 inventory levels? And how does that process work? Because we have a smaller set of sellers now. This is new. This is new for everyone. Because the traditional listings that we've seen from 1982 to 2022 has been basically really two to two and a half million. It's only the post kind of uh, 2012 housing market where inventory data has been falling slowly for years and years. And now we're stuck here. And I guarantee you, if I would have told everyone mortgage rates are going to 7%, every housing crash attic in America would have said supply would have gone to four or five million, right? Because nobody would buy homes. Well, remember, the seller is in control of this, right? Uh, and even with the investors that we've had in the marketplace, that a lot of people said all investors are going to go rush to the market to sell, that really didn't happen at all. We just had a percentage increase, but the total units out there is just not that much, which means that these sellers are really creating a very unique uh uh, uh, housing marketplace where if we had 2 million active listings, which is 700,000 more, imagine it would be much different. There would be so much more supply out there that the sellers, in a sense, couldn't be really stingy uh, uh, in their pricing, right? Uh, so I think th- this is such a once in a lifetime event that uh, we have to all kind of look at it with a different microscope. Uh, and this is why I've always been mindful of, you know, total inventory channels have proven to be different for the last eight years. And we had this unbelievable, unique test case. And what was occurred is that the sellers aren't coming as usual, but those that are in the marketplace have to adjust their pricing, especially with 7% plus mortgage rates. And how does that work out going into the second year of weakness? And that this has always been a theme of mine. If you want pricing to decline or anything in that matter, if you're trying to model out, you really need two years of weakness and demand. Rates started to rise in March. So really, it's April of uh, 2022 going to uh, kind of April of 2024. There's your two years right there. So we're going to be entering our kind of our second year in April and in, in spring of, of next year. And it's just a very interesting dynamic that you can have actually uh, uh, negative correlated pricing, not as fast as some people probably want in a very low inventory environment. Uh, and it really is the progression of where rates are going to go because we do think there could be some stabilization at 5%, but uh, at 7%, whole different ballgame out there. You know, on on our um, on realtrends.com right now, one of our uh, most popular stories is exactly this. It's like answering sellers. My neighbor sold over asking in one day, so I should too, right? And and it's really about, you know, how today's market looks different and how realtors and real estate agents can work with the sellers to get to a place where their house is going to sell because, you know... I mean, your typical seller doesn't know that they're they're going off information that was six months ago, which, you know, there is nothing to, to your point, a 5% <laughs> increase in, in mortgage rates changes everything there. But, you know, they've got to catch up. It's just crazy. It's you, you know, what's interesting still is that the homes that are priced right are selling quickly. And there's a lot of parts of the U.S. that are well below 2019 inventory levels. 
you see Boise, you see Phoenix, you see these areas. All those areas are healthy to me. Like those are off the savagely unhealthy housing market. It's just that there's parts of the U.S. that don't have that yet or, or, or even close. And those are the areas that I'm more concerned about, which is, which is different than what other people think. Other people think of those marketplaces as very unhealthy. And I go, no, those are, those are, those are okay. Those are functioning marketplaces. The areas that don't see the inventory increase are just, you know, are the price growth is still too firm. Uh, in that context. So it's a historical event in in my eyes because uh, it, so much of my work in the last 10 years has been that we never want to ease lending standards because if we keep lending standards as is, which I still think are very liberal, when the next recession comes, you'll see it. You'll see people not you know uh, being stressed financially. And God, if you look at the profiles of homeowners, it's not fair. It literally is not fair. Near 65% of uh, homeowners in America that have a mortgage have rates between 2 to 4%. And then another 40% of all homes out there don't even have a mortgage. The cash flows of these households look so good on paper on top of the nested equity that we don't really have to worry about this group, right? Uh, we have to worry about buyers. Uh, of course, if, if you're a seller, you can't afford a house, that's an affordability issue, right? If a buyer can't buy a house, that's an affordability issue. Uh, um, the housing inflation was such a dynamic once in a lifetime event that it dwarfs even the housing bubble years. Because when I talk about the housing bubble years, back then inventory was growing, right? Uh, inventory grew from 2000 to 2005. It's just that we had this massive credit boom that kept monthly supply low. When that credit boom bursted, right? Uh, credit availability fell noticeably. We don't have any of that now, right? That doesn't that doesn't uh, apply to this marketplace. We're just stuck, right? We're stuck in this uh, dynamic event, and we have to see how how it works in the second year. This is why I'm excited about the second year because I would say it's it's really the second year that changes a lot of things. Uh, uh, and of course, you know the the price deceleration part of the 2022 forecast, I I even though we we saw it occur didn't get to the levels I thought. And, and I say that with telling everybody, hey, listen, we're starting the year off at, at inventory at all-time lows. And we saw that accelerated home price growth January, February, March, and, and then the dynamics changed when rates rose. But there's limits out there, right? And when you have lending standards normal, affordability matters more than anything, right? And what we had from 2012 to uh, 2019, affordability indexes were fine. They were normal because of wage growth, right? And the reason the 23% growth model was there was where, where wages are going, it keeps things in line. We lost all of that the last two years, and then mortgage rates rose. So uh, we have to look at sellers and their behavior and the dynamics with their real estate agents, how buyers will look at it uh, in a new light. Because on paper, you see inventory levels, you're like, wow, we're like not even at the four-decade low. All true. Uh, we look at monthly supply of existing homes, not new homes, uh, existing homes, 3.2 months, right? Historically, that's very low. People use the six-month supply uh, model as that's balanced. I think that's too high. Uh, but four months, boy, you, 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 we, in 2019, going back to 2019, real home prices were negative, and we didn't have that much of an affordability hit as we do now. So that's why I like to uh, gather people toward the 2019 era, right? The 2018-19 era, because that is historically different than what the housing community talks about. That community talks about six-month supply as being balanced. 
Well, when you have this much housing inflation in a very low amount of time, and this is why I was like, at the end of 2020, this is not a good thing. And now we're trying to find some balance. And I think the the historical uh, uh, factors next year is what do sellers do and where do buyers go? Because again, every year people sell and buy homes. That's that's a given, right? Uh, they, even with the new listings data declining, you're still going to get traditional listings happening next year. It's what happens with those listings. Because I think if we can get the entire country back to peak 2019 levels, the pricing mechanism really changes just because there's more supply. Uh, here, we're still going to end the year up uh, positive just because we started the year at all-time lows. But if we had started at two to two and a half million, we wouldn't have the price growth levels that we had the last few years. And if we had those inventory levels with 7% mortgage rates, we prices would have been declining, right? Because there's enough supply out there. And that's that's the tricky dynamic for next year is how does this work itself out? Because obviously, we all see mortgage payments, 50, 60, 70% uh, on a year-over-year basis, right? Uh, it, that, that matters, right? It's not 2018 and 19. We didn't have that kind of dynamics back then. Uh, affordability was hit, but we literally only had three very mild negative year-over-year purchase application uh, reports back then. Here, well, we're gonna we're gonna see some thirty-five to forty-five percent year-over-year declines going for the rest of the year, just because the comps are harder. Um, but we were trending about eighteen to twenty-two percent before the comps changed, and that was just with five to six percent mortgage rates. You know, six to seven percent dynamics change, right? Uh, affordability hit, right? Uh, so. We have to look at it in this in this uh, context, and this is why I I always like to refer people to 2019 and 18 because if price growth was slowing down there, and again rates fell in 2019, right? They didn't rise; they fell, and then we saw kind of a mini V-shaped recovery in housing demand, and when prices started to take off, and here comes mother demographics kicking in in 2020, housing authentically broke out. You know, January, February of 2020, before COVID hit us, and it just continued that. But again, we only had 130,000 more home sales in 2020 than we did in 2017, right? The one dynamic that was the biggest variable in this in this housing cycle was that inventory broke to all-time lows, created forced bidding. That forced bidding created housing inflation to override any kind of proper price growth model. And then now mortgage rates just shot up almost 5% from the lows. Savagely unhealthy housing market to the greatest extent that we'll ever see in our lifetimes. Different than the housing bubble credit years, that was problematic in terms of people losing their homes, foreclosures, uh, filing for bankruptcies before the job loss recession happened. Different case now. Homeowners are in a good spot. And it's, it's literally, I think about how unfair these people have it. Uh, compared to the buyers that are coming into the market now. You know, this discussion reminds me of how how you have to be patient to be an analyst, right? Like yourself, because I know that for, for like 10 years, you were looking at the recovery from the great financial crisis and you were looking forward to years 2020 to 2024. That whole time you're looking at, you know, this is going to be the special thing. And then now when you're talking about, oh, the two years of, of data, and I'm like, April, just this April seems like, so far away. Like our, our industry is like, how am I making it till April? Like I can't, I can't wait till April to see this. Here's a, here's an interesting fact. The previous expansion, uh, if, if people followed my work in the last decade, I always say we're going to have the weakest housing recovery ever. Household formation. We have to debt deleverage. 
Then we have to build our household formation up to years 2020 to 2024. And now that we have all the uh, uh, census and data, you can see household formation just took off in 2020 and 2021 and total units did it. So we're trying to find some equilibrium here. And the problem with rates getting up this much this fast, which is a very sloppy. I mean, it's just a slop. It's a, it's a pathetically sloppy market, right? Uh, to have rates go up that much, but you know, four to five percent mortgage rates weren't doing the damage. We were only seeing mid to high single digit year over year declines, which isn't really that much in the purchase application data. It was really five to six percent, but seven. It's not a healthy marketplace in that regard because. You want people to create households and move. And, and again, homeowners that lived in their homes for 10 years plus from 2012 and on that were able to refinance in 2020, 2020. Life is great for them. Please do not worry about them, right? There is such an unfounded worriness. And a lot of it goes to this topic. The housing crash addicts are all anti-central bank people. Anti-central bank people are generally soft people that hide behind fake names. Three similar things they always say. A, don't buy a house. It's your forever home. They've done it for 10 years. Oh, my God. If your home value goes down 5%, you have no equity. You're going to run away from your homes. Soft Americans say this, not homeowners, right? Nobody runs away from the house. Middle-aged men, stock traders do this a lot. They say, well, why don't you just walk away from your house? You have no equity. You have a family, right? You have children, right? And then you tell your kids, well, our home price is down. Let's foreclose and let's ruin our lives. Homeowners don't think this way. Only the anti-central bank. Like, Sarah, you have no idea how I am geared up for the next 10 years of fight with these people. Like, I cannot wait because I know exactly what they're going to do that next, right? When you come off as a soft person, you think everyone is soft like you. No, Americans are badass people, right? You know, I mean, think about the uh, unbelievable shocks that we have taken as a country during COVID. And even right now, you know, people are employed or working, they're spending, right? When we look at past 2010, the only authentic thing that created a recession was a global pandemic. And that lasted like six weeks, right? Because we, as a country, we are not soft people. Don't fall for the social media tactics that these people do it. Trust me. But we do have to realize that affordability does matter. Pricing matters. And we want a functioning housing market. It's just very difficult to kind of get that with um, home prices rising so much so fast and then rates rising. And it's just this tug of war. And I think embracing the tug of war factor and kind of ignoring the inventory channel data that people have based their models on uh, uh, over the last 20 years, just because how unique this situation is, is, is it'll be good for everyone. Uh, and that's why I say spring of 2023. We want inventory to go up. We do not, under any circumstances, want new listings to decline on a year-over-year basis going into that. does no one good. It just puts us into I don't even know what name I will have for the housing market next year if that occurs, because it is like not what you want whatsoever. I mean, it would be a four-stage nuclear alert if people stop, stop listing their homes uh, because of rates uh, uh, and and we we hopefully that isn't the case but again as somebody who doesn't believe never believed in the mortgage rate lockdown premise uh i have to open my mind and say okay you said this can never happen unless mortgage rates break to all-time lows check um 
more home prices and mortgage rates have a huge move, not one or one and a half or two percent, but three, four percent check. We had that. Uh, and, and total cost of housing is so much that people just go, oh, God, why would I why would I do this? Right. Uh, because we haven't seen the mobility of people anyway for the last 10 years. This is why uh, I always hark back to inventory channels have to be part of your models. Right. You have to you have to have read the data for the last 10 years to go. There is a sociological trend that's happening in the United States of America and people are staying in their homes longer. They're doing well. So you have to get off of that mindset that these people are struggling. Right. If they were struggling, if they were going to run to the market to sell because they're whatever, you would have seen that easily this year. This is it. This is the ultimate test. We have history on our side to show us what that looks like. It was not here. Right. And because there's a different dynamics and the dynamics is the savagely unhealthy part, because how do you change this? How does this work itself out? And uh, uh, that that is that is to me the the unbelievable test of 2023, uh, a once in a lifetime uh, event where you have this second year of weakness off of an unbelievable housing inflation year, working with the best home loan profiles we'll ever see in our history with rates going from two and a half to 7%, who knows what it'll be next year, and then trying to find the world dynamics with all this economic drama running around the world and a Federal Reserve running around saying, hey, things are great. I don't know where things are bad. Things are whatever. You know, if, if there was ever a time where the Fed members could just zip it, this would be it. But uh, uh, so many so many conflicting messages out here. They go, well, we don't, I don't see a recession. You can't say on one side, I don't see a recession coming. Oh, by the way, unemployment rates are going to go to 4.4%. That's a job loss recession considering where we're at, right? So the Fed is completely gone cuckoos on some of their Fed statements. I understand why they're doing it, right? They have to talk tough. When mortgage rates went from six and a quarter to 5%, they were like, oh, hell no. We can't have this happen. Mortgage rates can't go back down. We have people buying homes again, stocks going up. No. No, everybody huddle up together, huddle up. Let's send let's send Kashkari out to CBS 60 Minutes. Everybody talk really tough and hope that over the next year the inflation data starts to subside because supply increases, the supply chains work, demand goes down. I get that. But man, when you're like talking, hey, everything's great in the US, there's no financial drama right now, right? So yeah, there, we got a lot of stress out there. And uh I think uh it'll it just everything is so unique and interesting and we're heading toward October, which means, you know, toward the end of October is when we start to see total inventory decline. We'll see if that happens again. My premise of getting to 2019 inventory levels in 2023 was based on two years of weakness, but that means traditional inventory growth actually happens uh, and, and accumulates, right? Homes stay on the market longer. That's what that's how you grow inventory. We saw that in 2014. We see that this year. We'll see if the inventory channels work. I, I wrote about that in the article. That even in 2014, adjusting to population, that was the lowest level in the uh, uh, MBA's mortgage purchase application index ever, but it still had that seasonal decline. So uh, that's something everyone should keep an eye on uh, uh, once you get to Halloween. What happens in kind of uh, November, December? Do we see the seasonal push or do people just lay it on the market and go, okay, let's, let, 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 let's see how it is at, at this point. Logan, I don't even know what to say. You are so fired up today. It is making me laugh. If people could see the video of this, you are just like, you are fired up. Is it because we're doing it later in the day today? Is that what it is? We're just going to have to do that now. No, I mean, I mean, for my work, for people that have read my work 
and understand my kind of talking points with inventory channels. I never thought something like this could exist. But for so many years, which which is funny right now because uh, uh, Ben Bernanke got the Nobel Peace Prize or, or something to that nature, and I, re- I, I retweeted an old article I wrote about him in 2013, Bernanke's delusional rhetoric on, uh, on tight lending, right? Where I just say the Federal Reserve has no credit structure risk profiles. They can't, they can't talk about lending and saying it's tight because Bernanke couldn't refinance his loan, you know, back then. But we did it the right way, right? We did it the right way. We made lending to the capacity to own the debt. And people made this excuse, oh, lending's tight. Lending's tight. We're home, home sales should be more. Uh, inventory is too low. No, inventory was not low from 2012 to 2019. We had a functioning marketplace. Prices never escalated higher. When rates rose, it cooled the price growth down. It was only when we broke to all-time lows at the worst period ever, 2020, that this occurred. So it's a positive in the sense that we didn't give in to the urges, the whispers of the devil into your ear that, hey, he's lending standards, you know, <laughs> come on. You know, and and I say, and listen, we we wrote that article a few weeks ago, or talking about, hey, is it really the best time to do 100% financing when the Federal Reserve says we want you to feel pain, we need you to lose your jobs, we want unemployment to go up, and you're putting this risk into this profile of a a higher risk loan? I I don't think so, right? So I'm just I'm just excited because I, I I for the first time I get to I get to look at things that I never thought could actually occur, and I, I hate it in the sense that. I thought years 2020 to 2024 would be, hey, millions of people are going to buy homes. Uh, household formation is great. Uh, people rent, date, mate, marry, three and a half years after marriage, kids, everything is going to work out fine. We're going to, we had the longest economic and job expansion in history. Without COVID, we would still be here. And everything got ruined because of COVID, right? <laughs> yes. But we as a country, the household formation, the credit risk, all this stuff passed the test, Right forbearance, right? Why did I create the term forbearance crash bros, right? Because all the professional grifters thought everything was 2008 to 2007. No, we Americans are tough, right? Twitter finance, soft. Stock traders, soft. Instagram, all these people running around, everything's crashing. We are not like that as a country, right? And we just had another test out here and homeowners are good, right? Because we did it the right way. This is why I'm saying don't ever ease lending standards. Don't do a 40-year mortgage. We have to let the market functionally work itself. And that is a positive, right? And that's why I kind of say my work is different in the sense that supply rising is a positive. Getting back to 2019 is a positive. What's happening in Phoenix is a positive. What's happening in Boise is a positive. But everywhere else that you don't see inventory growth is savagely unhealthy. That's a different mindset, uh, but it correlates to what I've what I tried to do with uh, my work over the years uh, uh, with housing economics, which is not supposed to be a sexy talk about thing. You know, it's supposed to be very boring. Just buy a house. You live there. That's it. Right. And it, it's just gotten kind of out of hand with how the world operates these days. But again, we are pilgrims in an unholy land, but we chose to fight the demons of the world. By using math, facts, and data, and uh, I, I can't. I am so excited. Well, I know. The next 10 years. Yes, I, I can. I oh, can we are going to go at it because I know exactly what's going to happen next. The crybaby nation are going to cry like babies, and we are just going to light them up <laughs> piece by piece. Like 
when the job loss recession happens, you have risk, late cycle lending risk, as has traditionally been the case. As somebody whose family has been in lending since the late 1950s, we've always seen this. That is always a risk, but it's never going to be what they think. And to write the America's Back Recovery Model on April 7th of 2022 just crushes many American bears during that period of time. Now we have all six of my recession red flags up. So my work is consistent based on actual data, not these you know mitigating circumstances that people talk about just to highlight their own uh, personal takes views. But it's just, this is it, man. I, I am so excited for 2023 because this is the first time I ever get to see something like this occur. Uh, uh, and it's still based on the long-term premise that inventory channels are working differently now. And now we have this official test where housing affordability has the biggest hit ever. Uh, and, and then the crash clown group of people that's, oh, low, low inventory is a myth. It's the Federal Reserve. It's the Federal Reserve. Same act, same people. Jesus. So you just you just said crash clowns. That might be our next catchphrase. But well, it's, it, Listen, I, I've got some other words for these people. But number one is that there is a reason why. They hide behind fake names. There's a reason why all American bears have failed since 1790. We are not a soft country. Oh, hell no. We got a lot of soft people running around, right? But we, we, we'll, we'll, we've handled recessions, right? We've gotten recoveries. But we have king dollar for a reason. We have the household formation demographics for a reason. The dollar is destroying everyone for a reason. But our strength, right? is having the biggest economy in the world, friendly neighbors, two oceans, biggest military, reserve currency, household formation, wages are up, debt structures are normal. We took a shot, right? It looked good. We have an affordability issue, problem, of course, inventory broke. We have to find a way to resolve this, but we're doing it in a way that's functional in the sense that it's not a, a forced selling situation or, or stress uh, for households. That's the key. American households, primary resident, homeowners, mother and father, sons and daughters, dogs and cats, tortoises and fishes, every one of us getting along together in a house because they have a fixed debt payment, right? And their wages rise. And that's a positive. And we should never ease lending standards. And we should stop talking about 40-year mortgages, right? We have to find a way to fix this. And it's a very difficult problem. I mean, this is a, this, I, I don't, use the term savagely unhealthy to be, you know, kind of a promotional person. It really is the most savagely unhealthy housing market ever. Uh, uh, but we'll find a way to work through it. But the, the constant is that the household balance sheets look good, good for a reason. And we should we should be grateful for that. Even though a lot of people didn't believe that their recovery was too slow, too soft. And I guess what we had the longest economic and job expansion in history. Uh, and, and it created a very good household base and, uh, I'm excited, man. I'm ready to go. You you are. You know, we are we are way over time of what we normally do, but how could I stop that? People are going to be listening to this just to get pumped up in the morning. They're going to be like, I'm going to go back to that podcast and listen to the last 10 minutes when he when he pumps me up for this. So uh so thank you for that, Logan. Sarah, could you imagine me as a high school basketball coach? How I was. <laughs> <laughs> no. Because this is I, I like, see it come is, through. This is volume one. Okay. This is volume one. <laughs> volume 10 is a whole a whole different uh, subject. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing your insights today. I encourage people to go and read that article that you did on the standoff between buyers and sellers. It has lots of charts. No surprise there. It also has more insight. And thank you for sharing your insight and your enthusiasm. Uh, in this market. Thank you, Logan. 
have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.